Hi, I am Chitra. I am Madhvi. I am Jyoti. I am Suchitra. Together, we are your hosts on the Edge Podcast. We bring you stories and experiences from our experiments around learning, marketing, and design. These are stories of people, technology, and people interacting through technology. Of what we see, create, and recommend. The word bias usually conjures up negative associations in our minds. But we need not always be so negative about it. In this episode, Chitra and I explore authority bias. We discuss both the positive and negative effects it has on our lives. Can we use authority bias to influence people whom we interact with? Are there ways to use it to our advantage? Is it a good idea to adopt this mental shortcut and outsource some of our decision making. We end with a few unexpected situations people have landed up in thanks to authority bias. Dive in and listen to these stories. Hi Chitra. Hi Madhvi. Let's continue our rarely rational series today and today let's chat about authority bias. Certainly. Looking forward to it. I'm quite interested and excited to see how this entire series is panning out. I'm very excited about what we're going to talk about today too. So, do you want to start off by telling us what is authority bias? Mm, I think you had some sort of an interesting definition that you came up with or rather read about. So, why don't you give it a shot? Alright. Authority bias is the tendency to place irrational trust in the judgment of an authority. So you basically ignore all the data, you ignore your gut, your instincts, everything, and just say, this person who is in a place of authority said so, so this must be true. And now, I think I'm more than ever convinced that this series had to be called Rarely Rational, Madhuri. Yeah, this is interesting because it takes me back in time when I was a child and uh, the authority figures, at least in my life, were my parents and my teachers. And very often, uh, I'd find myself either quoting either one of them when I used to be with friends. And especially when there was that uh, contention for who's saying the right thing and whose opinion should matter. Uh, you know, very emphatically quote either a teacher or a parent and say, no, but they said this and therefore it must be true. And I'm sure many of us have had situations like this. So to me, authority bias, I think, is something that uh, we as humans naturally grow up with or have in our environment. Maybe because it's we're social beings and uh, we also organize ourselves in societies and more often than not around a leader, a person of authority. Madhvi, I noticed that all around us, we have triggers for invoking this authority bias, if I may, within ourselves, isn't it? Yeah, authority bias, definitely. All these triggers definitely get your mind into that mode where you are giving respect to somebody based on uh, these things. So what are these triggers? Could be somebody in a white coat, it could be a doctor, a lab technician or somebody, but somehow just wearing that white coat makes them 
appear as a figure of authority and what they say suddenly becomes more important than if they said the same thing without that. Another place we see this is when people wear uniforms. So someone in the army or police, when you see that uniform or when you see their badge and that's why they flash that badge saying this is the authority, right? So you tend to take them more seriously. I mean, you're primed to take them more seriously as well. Another um, trigger could be that uh, you see somebody who is dressed really well. So this is why candidates wear these formal uh, suits or like more formal attire for interviews, right? They want to appear to be more important and uh, you probably are going to take them to be more important than if they showed up in just jeans and t-shirt. It doesn't make a difference to their skill set, but the way you treat them or as the uh, person talking to them is going to change. Yes, we unconsciously also expect people in positions of authority to speak a certain way, dress a certain way, behave a certain way, and uh, therefore recognize their position of authority, uh, trust what they say, tune in to a lot more of who they are, you know, what they bring to the table at the end of the day. People have noticed that people who speak with a lower pitch are perceived to be more powerful. Why? We don't know, but that's how we have evolved evolutionarily. This is a very interesting learning for me. So the next time I'm in a room full of people that are either having a conversation or discussing something serious, I'm going to keep this in mind. Please do. It's a trick that's employed by a lot of uh, public speakers. Oh, okay. Thank you for bringing that to my awareness. And that's what these series of podcasts are about is that there's no right or wrong with authority bias. It's just how the bias has got built in within us. What is it that we can do about it once we're aware of it? And since this series is also targeted towards UX researchers and people doing user research, we can see what to do about it if we're aware of it. You know, it takes me back to a situation at work. At work, very often I'd notice that if we were discussing uh, let's say potential solutions for a problem that had been reported for one of our products. There'd be five or six of us in a room that typically would be discussing it. And very often I'd noticed that uh, when it really came to taking the final decision or taking a call on which was the best solution, while most of us would weigh in with a lot of our opinions and uh, look at, examine the problem from all dimensions and so on, we would typically look to the, let's say, the senior-most engineer or the expert in the room to take the final call. So you were looking at the hippo. <laughs> so That's an interesting acronym, Madhavi. What does it stand for? It stands for highest paid person's opinion. <laughs> well, whether it, whether the person was the highest paid or not, I think that's a, that's a very interesting way to put it because... I remember when, when I got into a lot of senior leadership roles and I'd see this happening, it became somewhat of a checkpoint. So for example, if there was a change that you wanted to bring about, either in the organization or in the way you were working, and you knew that that change was likely to impact many hundreds of people, uh, that was something that I certainly did not want happening in a discussion is that people would finally defer to me or look to me to take the call on it or weigh, you know take the final decision. So when such a thing would happen, I would actually invite a lot of opinions, get all of the solutions out there, identify the best ways of implementing the change and so on, 
and become the person who asked questions around it. And that I noticed would trigger, provoke a lot more independent thinking, a lot more independent evaluation. Although uh, the final decision was something that I had to take from the perspective of responsibility and accountability, everyone knew that their opinions had been considered, had been duly considered. And the fact was that the best solution would be taken forward. This hippo effect is really, really uh, something that I'm sure a lot of us can relate to. Right. Yeah, see, ultimately, the decision is made by the person with the most responsibility or the, the leader in the group, right? It is not about being negative. It's just an observation. But being conscious of that, don't just let that opinion influence your decision. If that is, of course, the best idea, it could be because they are also probably the most experienced person. But if you have other opinions in the room, value all of them equally and then decide. It shouldn't be like, oh, I defer to you, so I'm just going to listen to what you're saying, which is typically how authority bias does. It's a mental shortcut. I don't want to think this through. I don't have the data. I don't have the time to take this data or I'm short of time. I need to make a quick decision. So I'm just going to listen to whatever the most authoritative person or the most experienced person. So someone who knows better than me, that is what I mean by authoritative person, not necessarily that they have more authority or something through their title or designation. So you will listen to uh, them as a mental shortcut, as a way of circumventing this long decision making time. Or it could also be that you're afraid of making a decision. You're just seeing that let someone else make the decision. There are a few people we have seen that. Or it could just be that I'm risk averse and I don't want to take any risk. So if we are making a decision where a certain amount of risk is involved, I want to keep myself away from it. That could also be one of the reasons people will defer to an authority. I think these are all really interesting points because it also teaches us a little about the way our brains process things. I recall in the last podcast as well, we attributed the why of why we do something like this or lend ourselves to a bias like this is because we love cognitive shortcuts. We don't want to expend unnecessary brain cycles, if I may call, in terms of critically evaluating something. So it seems like a natural order of things. But, uh, you know, I've also seen the way it plays into uh, product design and development. So, for example, a lot of the work that we do here at uh, Clearly Blue for design purposes, some of it includes design audits or helping people improve the effectiveness of their digital outreach, either through their websites or their products, you know, where interaction design comes into play as well as website design comes into play. But in, in all of these cases, whether you're doing a design audit or any of these, uh, you have to keep the end user in mind, right? And very often as people who provide these kind of consulting services, you don't talk to the end user directly. You're talking through the interface of the client that you're working with. As UX people, you tend to treat the client as that authority mm. who knows everything about the customer. And what they're telling you, you are highly likely to accept mm. as a fact. You know, or accept as a piece of information that could play into the design that you're doing. One of the things that I have learned through these experiences is, for example, if you are talking to, let's say, the customer support team in that organization, 
ask them for evidence of issues that are reported by the customers. It could be in the form of their uh, issue tracker or tickets that the customers file in. Now, everybody has conversational UIs. Uh, it could be a dump of their chat. Mm -hmm. That for a UX researcher then becomes an unbiased input where you are examining the language that they are using. You are examining the manner in which they are reporting these issues. So for example, a lot of tech products will show up technical error messages to an end user who exactly. simply has no knowledge about it. And if you are called upon as a user experience expert to see if you can recraft those messages, the best way to get input is get input directly from mm -hmm. what the end user is seeing. It's not to diminish what the client is saying, but it's also to make sure that you have all the pieces of information available with you. Absolutely. And also recognizing the fact that you are likely to succumb to this bias when you are not working directly with an end user. So basically you're not taking your client's word at face value. You're asking them to provide you the data to support what they're saying. Yes. And uh, you, you can then make an objective evaluation whether they've interpreted it right. And many a time they probably have. But in case something was lost in translation in their interpretation, you still have the raw data. Absolutely. This also comes into play when you are uh, redesigning, uh, let's say you're doing a service design and you're redesigning some of the workflows right? to actually find out where the real end users are dropping off or finding it difficult to use the product. What's that point? I think some of the challenges that are there is how often are UX researchers actually exposed to real customers where you can walk alongside them as part of their user journey and see exactly where it is that they are struggling. Right? And uh, I understand it's, uh, it may not be possible in all cases right? because a lot of the UX research methods are expensive. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, to conduct phone interviews or to invite actual users and see where it is that they are struggling with using the product or finding something difficult. Whereas a lot of people do tend to uh, default to surveys, which are an easier, a relatively less expensive way, and you can reach a large number of people through surveys. However, you're missing the in-depth feedback and right. the actual user feedback. These are some of the challenges that uh, UX researchers will go through. But at the end of the day, it is also being aware of a bias like this and trying to perhaps have a combination of these methods in your uh, UX research as you, you know, investigate the product or try to come up with a new idea. I think user, uh, even while doing user research, uh, the bias comes into play, right? So you have invited a participant and you are showing them your product or like asking questions to them. In case you happen to express an opinion, that will be construed as a fact. Right? Yes. So you're complete, they are getting biased. And now maybe originally they were not for a certain feature or whatever, but you shared something and now they can think of it as a fact. That will influence them. They'll either switch and say, this, yeah, I love this now, or you know, they go deeper into, I also don't like this or whatever. They don't want to contradict you. Yes, I've noticed that. In fact, what you said, right, has uh, somewhat happened in a previous experience where, you know, people were trying to build an analytics dashboard for a marketing company. Two of their marketeers were actually part of the initial uh, product design where we were, you know, getting inputs. 
the way this played out was the product manager suddenly showed them a slide of a possibility of a dashboard and then they latched onto it. We were actually seeking opinions. We were actually trying to understand the sense of how easy it would be for them if the dashboard was like this versus like that. And they seemed to want to go with the one where they felt that the product manager was weighing in with his experience and his, his authority and knowing that he would be the final decision maker, they were tending to go in that direction. So finally, it was the design person who began to notice this and he mm -hmm. said, why don't we do this? Is that we actually put two sets of these marketing team people in different rooms and actually showed them different slides. So it, it's some sort of an A-B testing that we did there at the design stage itself. And then when we collated the feedback that we got, we saw that there were a very diverse set of inputs that we got in, which we felt were a lot more unbiased than the you know previous thing that came in. So, nice. So I remember that you know this authority bias can be used to build trust, Madhavi. Yes, you can use this in your favor. One way you can do this is suppose you're building a website or you're building your profile on uh, for your small business or whatever on Facebook or LinkedIn. You can feature the important clients that you have worked with on your uh, uh, website or on your profile so that people know that your work is appreciated by other well-known companies and they're not taking a huge risk by just choosing to work with you. That's one way you can build trust. Another way you can do this is by getting uh, recommendations or reviews from your previous clients. Again, it still builds into the same thing that this other person, a well-known person, has shared this opinion. My decision is easier because somebody else has taken the risk and tried this path out. Another thing you can do is highlight the awards and uh, recognition or badges that uh, you have received in favor of your work. All of these help you build trust for your product or for your organization. I think that's a, that's a nice way to... Uh, you know, look at both sides of the coin, yeah. especially with respect to this bias. And I can't help but thinking of some really funny moments where authority bias plays in. I'd like to throw Google Maps out there. <laughs> yes, most of us nowadays do defer to Google Maps. We have handed over our decision making about which route to take, which is the optimal route to take, which typically would be like a, at least a half an hour, one hour long conversation earlier to Google Maps and we are just blindly following it. So we become the robot at the wheel, driven by this mechanical voice. It's almost like we're losing our sense of direction, if you will. Sometimes it's a good thing because it lets you now focus on the journey. I'm both for it and against it, depending I on the situation. I have a bit of a mixed bag there. I don't mind if, Madhvi, you know, we were talking earlier. You said that I'll take Google Maps as a suggestion. Yes. I think I'm there. So I'm okay if it takes me up to a point, but I'd feel still more comfortable if that last mile or that last kilometer, I'm asking somebody and then I get there. So you want the human touch. Yes, I yes. certainly do. I, I, that's, like I said, I don't mind a mix of both. So if I have the time, I don't mind getting lost. And then I know that Google Maps is there to get me back. <laughs> so I do that. But I don't want to ask for directions. 
But the flip side is people have been listening to Google Maps and listening to that voice and they have driven off cliffs. They have driven into lakes and ponds and rivers and whatnot, driven into fences and compound walls. You can't completely hand over all decision making to a device with incomplete data. Yeah, I think uh, we could safely agree to mutually agree on that point. Yes. <laughs> Another uh, funny and really well-known incident or uh, incidents, I should say, is Elon Musk causing havoc in the American stock markets just by tweeting things. And he certainly is an authoritative figure, isn't it, Madhvi? Definitely. He's affecting so many countries and so many economies by just his tweets. Well, should we say, watch out on those tweets? Yeah, and uh, watch out for authority bias, generally. You can't completely avoid it, but at least be aware that this is in play so that you can make better decisions. I think I've really had a fantastic conversation with you, Madhavi. I am certainly looking forward to the next bias that we will uncover as part of the Rarely Rational, I got that right this time, I think, <laughs> series. Uh, so thank you very much. Thanks, Chitra. This was fun. Subscribe to the Edge podcast on your favorite podcast channel. We are on Google, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. If you have stories to share and want to be featured on our podcast, write to us at podcasts at adepticlabs.com. <laughs>